I'm Dr. Michelle Perez. And I'm Billy Liggett. And this Rise with Orange. Our guest today is Dr. Nancy Duffy, Director of Nursing for the Catherine W. Woods School of Nursing at Campbell University, a school that admitted its first group of undergraduate majors in 2016. Dr. Duffy is with us today to talk about her program, a little bit about her new building, and a lot about herself, as well as the nursing profession in general. So welcome to the show, Dr. Duffy. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. All right. And uh, we start off this way every time. Uh, we ask you what brought you to Campbell University? The reality is, is my daughter had had a baby. She lives in Apex, and she had a baby in August of 2012. And I really got tired of driving I-95 <laughs> um, to come visit. So what I did, I just started looking for opportunities. And by fortuitous good luck, mm -hmm. I saw that Campbell University was looking for somebody to start a BSN program. That's amazing. And that's who gets that mm -hmm. chance. Um, I love to take a risk. So I went home and talked to my husband about it, and there was no reason not to try and go for it. Now, the nice way to put that is I was looking for work-life balance. Um, <laughs> but in reality, it was I-95 that I thought, I can't do this one more time. I'm sure they showed you the new med school as, as part of the whole selling package to you. What impressed you about Campbell? Um, it wasn't the buildings. Now, the med school's gorgeous, and so is uh, Tracy Smith uh, building. They're wonderful. But what really impressed me and impressed me to this very day is that sense of community on this campus that is as tangible as something intangible can be, mm -hmm. that students feel it, um, I feel it. It's been an amazing opportunity to leave one institution and come to another one and feel so comfortable mm -hmm. and fit. Mm -hmm. um, I, it's amazing. So then tell us a little bit about your school. I know it, uh, it launched in fall 2016, and next fall you're entering a very important year in your program, which will be the third year. Uh, explain all this for those who are very unfamiliar with our nursing program. So the first two years are basically general college core courses. It looks much like any other freshman with um, an emphasis on science. There are some team and small group communication classes, but in general, it's meeting the general core requirement. So in the January of their sophomore year, they can apply to the BSN program. Um, so we have a minimum cumulative, a minimum science GPA. There's interviews. Uh, we do a spontaneous 100-word essay just to get a deeper picture than just that GPA because you know, I always laugh and tell students there's a lot of A nurses you don't want at your bedside, <laughs> but give me somebody who's a B who can talk and touch and laugh, then that's the kind of nurse uh, you want. So we review applications starting um, in January. It takes weeks and weeks to really go through that whole process, look at midterm grades, um, and then make offers between midterm and end of course grades. Everything is conditional based on um, those final course grades and, you know, whether you've 
committed some heinous crime or something, that, that will keep you out of the program. So then they start their nursing, the BSN curriculum, in uh, the fall of their junior year. So it is four semesters where their life is flipped upside down. They start patient care within the first semester. It's, it's, it's difficult. It, there's no nurse that will tell you nursing school was this piece of cake um, because you have to really balance time. You have to set priorities. You have to give up something, sleep, going out to eat, you know, friends. Um, but I will tell you that we do, uh, our education is different. We are team-based active learning. So our students sit in groups of five. They're assigned to groups um, in the classroom, nowhere else, and that you come to the table with something, um, and then the, they can start using application teaching strategies. So there is some homework. Um, there are case studies. There's gaming. There's just a multitude of things you can do because you want your nurse to be able to think and problem solve at the bedside. Mm -hmm. And no PowerPoint ever told you how to take care of a patient. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's application from day one, and that's the struggle, I think, for the students. Dr. Duffy, can you share with us um, how, how do you think the, the nursing program retention rate is uh, different than the general uh, retention rate? So the university's at a 72% retention rate. How is the program, nursing program doing? Um, I will tell you that we can shout and clap and applause that right now our retention rate is 97.8% um, in the program. However, that competitive application does assist you to bring in um, perhaps a more qualified applicant, um, a more qualified student uh, in terms of academics. And then I will tell you the nursing faculty bend over backwards. Um, there's nobody else on this campus that can be a student tutor for nursing. I mean, you have to live it and breathe it. So the faculty take on a lot of working with students who haven't achieved a benchmark on an exam, um, going over testing strategies. Um, there's some significant efforts put to this towards student success. And what are faculty finding um, that our students are, are still developing um, in these first two years as they're working towards the program? I think they're developing or realizing they have to change the way they've worked the classroom in the past. That, you know, memorization doesn't really help because you have to reason through questions. You have to problem solve when you're in the hospital taking care of patients. You, it, you can memorize lab values. That's great. Um, but it, it takes more than that. You have to really think about what's happening, why it's happening, what do I as the nurse need to do about it, and then you got to go do it. I'm, I'm very proud to say that I, I uh, come from a family of nurses. My grandmother um, was a nurse and my mother was a nurse, but both of them ended up getting uh, their nursing degrees late in life. And I think they were two-year degrees from like a junior college. I understand with our, our BSN program here, that's kind of where this whole industry is trending. Uh, maybe one number I saw said 80% of all nurses by 2020 hope that they're four-year. Uh, why, is, why is that change happening? Um, really for several reasons. Um, the first of which you're referencing is the um, IOM report. Um, and that was that 
in today's healthcare world that the healthcare workforce, nursing workforce, should be 80% BSN by 2020. Now, there are all kinds of um, hospitals that have achieved that, but for people who are in areas where the BSN is not the norm, um, there are kind of great graduated, you know, that we won't do it by 2020, but if we could have 50% by 2021, as long as you're showing improvement towards that. Um, Because of that IOM report and magnet certification, which is what hospitals hope to achieve, and it's like the gold standard, they also stipulate that your BSN workforce has to be um, at a greater percentage than it has been typically in other hospitals or institutions. The the demand for the BSN is increasing for those very reasons. Um, hospitals are now, there are systems that are requiring the associate degree to go back within three to five years um, of being hired. There's some tuition reimbursement for that. But I, I think the biggest piece is that there is evidence that suggests the greater the percentage of BSNs that you have in a hospital, the better are the patient outcomes, particularly when it comes to falls, when it comes to infection rates, um, that those are significant differences. And the BSN is thought to be able to recognize earlier that if someone is not um, following the standard of care or they've developed, you know, maybe subtle complications and that the BSN is better at picking those up and getting a response initiated to that. You mentioned the unique opportunity of being handed the, the keys to a new program, um, which I, I imagine is very exciting. And I know this isn't a question that will be fully answered for another maybe five or ten years, but what do you hope a Campbell graduate becomes in the nursing field that maybe other schools don't necessarily live up to? Okay. So I have two answers for you. Um, the first is. <laughs> I was <laughs> hoping for at least one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The first is that I would love it if these students left Campbell after their um, education and went back and worked in healthcare institutions within their community, because certainly uh, rural healthcare, um, the access is a question, and the more BSNs we can get back in hospitals, then everybody will practice evidence-based nursing guidelines. So that's number one. That's my dream. The other thing is I want Campbell nurses to be known for having a brain, a mouth, and a spinal cord, and they all have to work. That brain, because it will help you figure out what is happening at that bedside. That mouth, because you are the only person who can speak up for that patient, that family, that community. And you know what? It takes a backbone or a spinal cord to call somebody at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, you know, I think you better come in and look at this individual. Um, So those are my two. So which one did you like best? I like like the spinal cord. I did did too. I was like, we need, and and heart as well. Heart. You're right. You're right. You're right. It goes with the voice, with the mouth. Yeah. Well, and I imagine it it can't be easy for sometimes, and, and um, I did stories on the PA program too. This is another challenge: is, is to um, speak up and to challenge doctors and challenge physicians. And I imagine that that's not easy. And I, I imagine that having the four-year degree helps educate and push that along and encourage that. You bet it does. 
that's one of the things that is different between the community college associate degree nurse and the BSN nurse. Our students take buckets more hours in health policy, informatics, leadership, these other peripheral courses. That brings a different person to the bedside. Mm -hmm. Would you say it's also an increase in um, nurses earning their doctorate? Oh, yeah. I think that um, I never would have thought, you know, oh, no, I got the BSN, I'm done. Ah, a few years later, I thought, well, maybe I'll go get that master's. Um, and then a couple years after that, it was maybe I need to go back for that. So there, it's, it's easier now just because of access. It's mm -hmm. easier now because of online education. Um, I, there's no reason not to stop. Because the more initials you have after, after your name, there's opportunity. I wouldn't have been able, Campbell would not have picked me if I did not have a terminal degree. I mean, it just opens doors that you just can't even imagine. Can, can I ask another yeah. opening door question and access? Um, men in nursing, mm -hmm. what are the trends that we're seeing there? I would say nationally, it's about a 10 or an 11% of students are male. Um, and our first cohort, and if I had known I had this question, I would have looked up my... <laughs> <laughs> um, in our first class, we were 8 out of 45, uh, so That's closer good. to 18, yeah. 20%. And then in this incoming class, there were fewer males that came in, although I still have half dozen, but we had greater diversity. So through the magic of Google, I was able to um, look up your bio... <laughs> And uh, um, read some of your, uh, the titles of some of your work, and one that struck me that I would love to learn more about, and we could probably do a whole other show about it, is you wrote uh, um, a research, or I don't know what you call it in, in the field, but you wrote about near-death experiences. Yes. Yes, and uh, you wrote it from the nurse's standpoint of dealing with patients with near-death experiences, but um, why did you choose that subject? Is that something that you experienced with a patient? Um, yes and no. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I had a colleague who was uh, an expert in near-death um, experience, and when I went to work at that institution, she just had stories that she could share. Um, and then when I was with students in clinical, um, in oncology, um, even in the emergency department, which was my area, uh, you experience a fair amount of death. Uh, so I just became kind of captivated by how how can this be better for this individual laying in the bed, whatever their plan is, and then along with that was that family. What can I do for that family? Because the process of death is pretty clinical, um, it, you're, it, but it's a very human, emotional time. Um, so it was really more curiosity. Okay. Did... Uh in, in either your research or her research, were there stories of people who were close to death and they came back and then shared? I, I've heard stories of patients who were able to see the room. Yes. And so there's hospitals that, like, put objects above. So in case that really did happen, they could say, well, there was a star over here and uh, the word love over here. And you wouldn't be able to know that unless you were Correct. floating above. Correct. So. Correct. <laughs> I this think, fascinates me. <laughs> I think the more compelling stories about um, the death experience is really with children mm. that haven't become 
tainted by the television or, or whatever it is that they, they tell you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. They don't know to be sarcastic or smart about it. So I would say that it's the children that speak to floating that makes me believe there's something here, gang. Right. We can't ignore this. Well, unfortunately, we don't have enough time to just figure it all out right now, but... I'm sure uh, we could. <laughs> Join us next time. Yeah. Well, no, thank you so much. Uh, we are out of time. Thank you so much, Dr. Duffy. Uh, we'd love to have you back on the show in the future. Uh, good luck entering year three next year. And... Uh, um, I don't know. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I had fun. And we're back. Uh, Again, I wish we could have spent more time talking about near-death experiences. Oh my gosh, I personally yes. have been fascinated by those kind of stories and uh, to hear medical professionals, even just to hear her say she's been around death a lot. Well, I haven't, and thankfully I haven't, but uh, um, I'm always really curious of, of what's next, and I'm sure I'm not alone out there. You're, you're now listening to, what's that overnight show? <laughs> no, no, not no. Delilah, the... Uh, <laughs> The West Coast, coast to coast. Oh yeah, coast to coast. I don't know. They always talk about alien abductions and ghost stories and stuff. Yeah, I don't listen. To That's that not show. what this is going to become. This is our last show before Thanksgiving. We will uh, take a week off next week to celebrate the holiday, and then first week of December, I will be gone, and Leah Jarvis will be joined by guest host Rod Hipwell, and they are going to interview Dr. Adam English, who is the number one expert in our region on Santa Claus and he's written books about Santa Claus and Christmas and the history of it all and uh, that's going to be a very interesting show so that's coming the first week of December but uh, before then um, we were kind of thinking what to talk about here at the end and we decided on a five to eight minute free-for-all so uh, Dr. Perez since you are our guest host I'm going to allow you to just throw out the first topic Thanksgiving <laughs> oh okay <laughs> what are we giving thanks for? And is it giving? <laughs> well, that's uh, it's not a great question, but I can answer it, though, because I love, I love Thanksgiving. It's, you know, Christmas is awesome, of course, but Thanksgiving was always great for me because it was the one time every year that my family came together. And um, all the cousins would play, and we were in North Texas, so... It was a little bit cold and What's a traditional football. meal? What's your traditional meal? Like, what do you have to eat or else it's not Thanksgiving? So, yeah. So, this is generic, but it's because my wife, if she's listening, and she never does, by the way, but oh. if she does, um, she makes the best turkey ever. And I find turkey typically to be dry and not really that great, but she does this slab of butter garlic that she makes beforehand. She chops it up into discs and she shoves it under the skin of the turkey before it goes into the oven. So the whole turkey just has this butter taste to it. And it's just the best thing in the world. And I'll eat my weight in it and then I'll go pass out. And that's Thanksgiving for me. Well, my daughter was talking about what we have to prepare for Thanksgiving. Well, both daughters. The little one said, oh my gosh, mom, I have... She didn't say mom. She actually said, mama. And my husband is like, why are you doing that? But it's a different story. <laughs> Mo mother. <laughs> mother. 
and she, the little one said, instead of making gingerbread men, let's make gingerbread turkeys. <laughs> I was like, that's clever, I love it. And the big one said, cranberries. I need cranberries. And I'm yes. like, wow, we've created a tradition I didn't even know. And she doesn't like the can cranberries, does she? Well, that's all she's ever had. So. No, 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 no. Oh, my goodness. That's what I have Dr. Have. Perez, no, 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 no. I can't make, I am terrible in the kitchen, but the one thing I make every year is the cranberry sauce. You buy a bag of dry cranberries, you throw it in the pan, you add brown sugar, orange juice, and anything else you think might help it, and you just let it simmer, and it boils down to a jelly, and it is amazing. Really? Yes. Well, you have to try it. You have okay. to. Okay. Just a bag of cranberries. That's all. All right. It's the easiest thing in the world to make, and so therefore it is the one thing I make, and it is great. Okay, and dessert. What's a must-have dessert for Thanksgiving? Again, generic, but pumpkin pie. Oh, that's the best. But uh, I asked my mother-in-law this year to make a cherry pie because I wanted something fruity, and uh, that sounded good. So that and ice cream, I think, this year. Now, there is something that begs the question. I have to go back to your uh, recipe for the cranberry uh -huh. sauce. You said, and add whatever else you want. <laughs> right. Well, so for me, whatever, a splash of red be? pepper or my wife's from Louisiana. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say that, but yes, <laughs> you know, a, a little thimble full of rum. It's, it'll cook out. It's, it's, it's uh, kosher, I guess. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, it's, uh, um, it's great. It's easy. It beats the pants off the can stuff, the mold, the stuff that comes out in one big clump. And you have to slice. It's well, there's it. some that comes with the fruit in it. I promise you, you try this, you're going to come back in December and say, oh my goodness, you were right. It's the best thing ever. I'm never going to approach Thanksgiving the same ever again. Okay. Sarah, you, you've joined us. <laughs> I feel like we're, we're stuck on cranberries here. What, what about you? What's your must-have? Um, my must-have is sweet potato pie, and typically... Someone else makes it, but this year I'm going to make it. Oh, so and you have some in our office right now. Yes, I made a test pie last night. My husband approved. He does not like sweets. He said it was one of the best pies he's ever eaten. So we'll see. Okay. We'll see well, if I can do it a second time. Yes, that's, that's the key, the too. Key. It was, uh, this is the 10th episode. It's been my pleasure to, uh, to start this thing. And uh, Dr. Perez, thank you um, for sitting in for Leah. I'm sure in the future there will be open spots. And, uh, you know, if you really want to, you can just poke your head in Mondays at 2 when we do the recordings and say, you got a guest today? <laughs> is <laughs> she <you>. late? <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me. This is enjoyable. I uh, look forward to having my own show that I can uh, compete against yours with. Would you like to go ahead and tease that? <laughs> <laughs> no, because you're not ready yet. <laughs> rhymes with green. <laughs> rhymes, with a, rhymes with success. Oh, well, you probably had, may not be a good idea. Um, all right, I'm going to read this now. Okay. Rhymes with Orange is a product of Campbell University's Office of Communications and Marketing. Vice President for Advancement is Dr. Britt Davis, and Assistant Vice President for Communications and Marketing is Haven Hoddle. Rhymes with Orange is co-produced by Sarah Hardin, who is walking out the door right now and making a lot of noise. Director of Marketing, Director of Visual Identity is Jonathan Bronsink, and our Director of Web Design is Nikki Zawal. 
Your hosts today are Dr. Michelle Perez. That's me. Yay. And Billy Liggett, and that's me. Please join us again in a couple weeks. And as I said earlier, we'll have Dr. Adam English on to talk about Santa Claus. And this rhymes with orange. <laughs> <laughs>